offered you a job? Sweet. No, but he, like, I'm sure that if I really wanted to go deal at, like, the Ocean's Eleven Casino or something like that, at, I don't know how much those guys make at, at like, the North County craps and crap ones. We're live, uh, but we'll just continue this conversation. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they make that much in North County, but the Vegas ones, I think... I'm sure there's a huge range. Yeah. There's it, probably people making 40K a year and not really getting tipped that much all the way up to, I'd imagine, hundreds of thousands I'm, for like the high rollers. I mean, you think the guy, the really good dealers in the high roller lounge, when somebody gets on a heater and just flips over a couple grand? I tip? could easily see that. Yeah. Pretty sweet. I mean, those high, I've never participated or been around them, but like the actual whale rooms. Yeah. I think those dealers are very professional probably and like the Discreet. top of their game and probably make 200,000 bucks a year or something. Yeah, be pretty great. You could be that guy. I want to be that guy. Um, need to be that guy. This reminds me, I'm going to forget some important details, but there's a phenomenal story about a casino potential blackmail heist. Ocean's 11. I yeah. saw it. <laughs> It's in, I want to say Reno or La Tahoe. It was okay. Tahoe. A uh, guy tries to blackmail the Harris owner when Harris first opened. There. Yeah. There was two competing casinos. Do you call it Harris? What is it? I mean. Harass? It's it's not Harass, but it should be. I call it Harris. Harris. But I don't know if it's supposed to be called Harass. I don't know either. I mean, the word is Harass. Yeah, it is. But I've only ever heard at Harris. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, Real mystery. when they first opened it, it was that casino. And then the other one across the street, like the other, I forget what brand it was, but like the other main competitor. And I think they're even divided by state line. So like one's in California, one's in Nevada. Anyway, a guy, uh, a guy lost a ton of money there. And there's a lot of backstory between him and actually Harris himself, but he rolls a bomb into the casino gets it up into the vault. Like it was uh, labeled as an IBM computer. So they rolled it in because they, I guess they needed a new computer and they were expecting it. So this thing gets rolled in, turns out to be a bomb that was so geniusly engineered. Like it had a float mechanism on it. So if you tried to detach it, or if you even tried to unscrew a screw, something would float and set the bomb off. How smart is that guy? Super smart. And Ultimately, long story, this goes on for days. Like FBI gets called in, their bomb squad trying to, um, you know, di disarm it or whatever. Clear out the casino, clear out the hotels, clear out city block uh, radius. And they ultimately try to dismantle it and the bomb goes off, blows up the casino, damages the casino across the street and everything. It's this crazy story, all the backstory and all of it. And it, the reason why it's relevant to us is the guy's son who helped him put this bomb together is a surfboard shaper. Sweet. Or he was a surfboard shaper. And apparently he sold the rights to the story to Hollywood and they're making a movie about it. And he committed suicide. Oh, wow. So this story, this it, has everything. I know. I really need to research it. I listened to this podcast series about the event itself, not knowing that the guy was a, the son was a surfboard shaper. But the sun actually... Where did you shape out of? San Clemente? Did you say? No. Northern California. I don't know. I don't know where the sun ended up. Might have been Florida, actually. Okay. Um, but I interviewed John LaLanne, who's Jack LaLanne's son, because he's a surfboard shaper. 
And after we turned off the mics, he goes, yeah, I'm so bummed about my friend, you know, who he's had every opportunity in life, but he uh, seems to squander it and he sold his rights to Hollywood. And then he ended up, you know, dealing with depression and he killed himself, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Hey, I think I know that story. And so then it reminded, jogged my memory and reminded me that that was, he was the guy who was associated with the casino thing. Phenomenal. Yeah. Well, that's a great story. It is. Again, I should have saved it until I actually remembered all the details. It's okay but though. It's still phenomenal. The half baked stories that get delivered here on the grit, <laughs> I think are warmly received. I could have actually, um, made up embellished. Yeah. That's what I do best. Actually. Yeah. Sweet. Well, Chaz, welcome back to the show. So excited to be here. The Grit, we're December 10th. We are mid professional surfing. Professional surfing is back, David Lee. Is this the middle, meaning it's going to end in two more days? Could. It could. Okay. We should savor. I mean, one has already ended. A sh fatal shark attack shut down Honolulu. Crazy. All, do, you think, do you think they will? There was whispers that they would move it to pipe. Uh, I hope they do. Do you think that'll happen? I have no idea. I heard the whispers. I have no intel, so who knows? But um, honestly, the end of the draw that it's at, I think there's one quarterfinal and then semis and final. Those women can all handle pipe. Whoa. Okay, so wait. there They have one quarter yeah. and then the semis and the final. So they have one, two, three, four heats of professional surfing left. Yes. So, so an hour's worth of professional surfing. Sage and Tati wait, are the final quarter. Two hours. Yeah. Uh, Sage, I've never seen out there. Tati will absolutely charge. And then it goes uh, Tyler versus Sally in semi one. And then Carissa is the other semifinalist. So all of them could surf pipe. Absolutely. Yeah. Easily. And do. And ba backdoor, certainly. Yeah. Sweet. So I I'd be down to see that. But what a tragedy. What a Holy cow, shocking right? tragedy. So, I mean, yeah, this, there's no good way to deliver the news. But obviously, uh, Maui Pro was the first day of competition for the 2021 season. Pretty ideal Honolulu Bay, mid-size, but really beautifully groomed, all that sort of stuff. The women almost completed the contest in one day, which surprised me, to be yeah. honest. They must have, did they trim the field and or was there people who had trouble getting in? Was that the issue due, the, due to the COVID? I didn't look into it. There's no way. I mean, I was shocked too. I was like... I started watching and it was the seating round. I was like, ah, oh, stupid seating round, waste of time, so mad. And then I tuned in later and I saw them in the quarters. And I was like, wait, how did they go from the seating round to the quarters in one day? They burned through it really quickly. Yeah. It's um, great. That's the way pro surfing should be, quite I frankly. Know. And honestly, the fact that you have to not watch the finals or the finals, they got put on hold indefinitely because of the shark incident. But even you calling if, it, are you calling it an incident now too? Uh, I don't know. I just do what they did. <laughs> I don't know. So what is the difference? I mean, I feel that people who say shark attack, uh, are more honest with the way it is. People who say shark incident are being little pussies. That's what I think. Do you think that it is to, um, destigmatize yeah. sharks, aggressive behavior? Totally. Okay. I, I would imagine that attack is almost, uh, what personification a bit like of giving the ferocity and giving the shark like a, you know, it wasn't just an instinct. It was the shark actually did something. Right. Uh, whereas shark incident I feel is the, would be the more PC way where, come on, the shark doesn't have any, any agency. It wasn't the shark's fault. Who's behind this? Does shark have a P sharks have PR teams? 
I think, I mean, it's a great PR move for sharks to, Fantastic. it's not my fault, man. Exactly. It's just in my nature. I just go instinct. around chomping and if, if there, your foot happens to be in the way, then yeah. it'll get chomped, but it's not yeah. me wanting to chomp your foot. Thought you were a seal. Yep. My nature. Nothing I could do about it, man. Exactly. Out of my hand, out of my fins. Yep. But yeah, tragic that the, yeah. Did we finish the story? So day two looked like a go in terms of the swell. Um, in the morning surf before the contest started, a recreational surfer paddled out and had an incident, actually got bitten by the shark. They measured the bite mark on the surfboard. It looks like, so that very little has been actually revealed about the incident itself or the victim who we know is a 56 year old male from Lahaina, um, who by the way, succumbed to his injuries about a day and a half later. So the attack happened on Tuesday morning. He died Wednesday evening, but from the way that the board, the chomp mark, bite mark in the board is, it's like right on the side rail and it's 17 inches kind of in width, but it goes deep all the way into the stringer of the board. So it looks like the shark, I mean, if the guy was laying on his board, it looked like the shark just came up and chomped right into the torso. Uh, if he was sitting on his board, he would still get his leg and that'd be femoral artery. So the fact that, um, they called it an incident and he seemed to, to be in stable. It was reported he was in stable condition on Tuesday. Made me think that there was hope. Yeah, I felt hopeful too. But I read uh, after the attack that the they had to administer CPR to him on shore. And I thought, ooh, if the guy's getting CPR, that, that does not sound good. But then, yeah, later in the evening it said, or the, the report was that he was in stable condition. And apparently he was. And then destabilized overnight what and happens is that the hospital's fault no i just think that with that amount of blood loss and that much trauma uh that things can probably go i mean i'm no doctor but it seems like things can go sideways pretty quick on that yeah. kind of stuff yeah but i mean by all accounts the wsl water patrol team was like fairly miraculous in terms of what they did i mean i think got him oh, to shore really? yeah they got him it was the wsl water safety team who I think saved him or initially crazy. Uh, so they put the event on indefinite hold the day of, and even yesterday. And then today they officially called it off, um, from that location. Yep. So they're going to run the remaining heats somewhere that's yet to be named, but potentially could be pipeline. Honolulu is the pipeline for the girls, right? I mean, that's always been the, or traditionally the season ender, the big banger yeah. Honolulu Bay. Uh, do you think that it, stays on tour. Yeah, I do. You think that people will go back? Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't know that Honolulu Bay is any more shark sharky than anywhere else. Right. Is yeah. It? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think in general, I mean, I don't even know what I'm talking about here, but Maui and Kauai seem like they're more sharky than Oahu to me. I mean, and I'm totally pulling this off the, top very top of my head but i i feel that i read about more shark attacks from both maui and Kauai than i do from oahu or the big island you write about more shark attacks from <laughs> i do i write i study more i i exp, i look, lend my expertise to more if we think about stops on tour that are known to be sharky i think of south africa being the top of the list mm -hmm. um so honolulu bay isn't at the top of the list has something been going on there that there's now more incidents than there were in the past, then maybe they'd have to consider that and then 
reevaluate the tour schedule. It really but has I, been I a year of shark so. attack though. I mean, a wild, not just all beach grits coverage, but there's been a lot to cover. More people are spending time in the water. That's it. I suppose. Could be. Well, uh, Honolulu Bay, there's actually more we could get into with that. Um, I wanted to touch on a couple of things from last week though, before we go too deep, a feathered stowaway now named Rockefeller is recovering in a wildlife refuge in New York state after it was discovered clinging to the Rockefeller center Christmas tree. The bird was found by workers helping to transport the spruce 170 miles to New York city. Such a cute bird. It's a story just out of a movie, the wildlife director said. The owl presumably didn't have any food or water during the three-day journey, so the team is giving it fluids and all the mice it will eat. So far, he's pensive, cautious, very alert, bright-eyed, and the cuteness factor is just off the charts. It's just amazing that he hung on when the tree fell and he didn't get crushed. This is the Christmas tree you were talking about in Rockefeller Center that was felled 170 miles away. There was an owl in it. I mean, another another black eye on this dang tree that they're trying totally trying to spin as cute and fun. Look at this cute little owl that got to go to the big city. Because it's a Christmas miracle. The stinking owl just lost its habitat and big bummer all around. It is a Christmas miracle. That is a Christmas stain. Um, the other big story was people care. I got more engagement and feedback about the Toyota Hilux. Oh, yeah. And passionate Porsche drivers, yes. by the way. People are on your side and fully for Porsche. But, They're right. But Hilux drivers, I got emails from South Africa, Morocco, tons from Australia. Just where it's praising the Hilux. Yeah, well, in Australia, it's soccer moms, uh, adventurers, surfers, everybody drives a Hilux. That's me. So we need to import one. I mean, I think, we, I think they're in Mexico. Oh yeah, that'd be the quickest import. Yeah, we just uh, drive across the border. Okay, well, I was thinking, where would we get the best uh, exchange rate? Mexico might be it, but what about the Rand in South Africa? Well, sure, but we'd have to then ship it across the seas. Mexico, so we, we can we can buy it in TJ theoretically. I feel like a Hilux could swim. What? I mean, I think they could drive it. They, they have snorkels. Across. We could drive through the Tijuana Slough. Uh, <laughs> the what the. What what is the uh what are you supposed to do when you drive a car that you purchased in Mexico into the states? For sure, there's some massive fees and license licensing and tax hey. import duties, etc. I usually ignore all that stuff. Yeah, you Deal just drive it, it later. In. Drive it in and claim you bought it here. Yeah, yeah. How do they know? What, I suppose. Yeah. What I don't. Yeah. Tax find, issues. Find me later <laughs> <laughs> when I try to register it. Um, Tyler Wright, back to the Maui comp. Uh, I wanted to get your feedback on the progressive pride flag on the jersey. It really kills me. Does I'm, it? I mean, it doesn't kill me in that it frustrates me, but just the World Surf League continuing to hammer this drum of we are open and progressive and look at the progression and we are all learners. We're learning. We're learning to communicate, etc. Like, it really makes me want to gag and then, so them using Tyler Wright, who was mysteriously gone for a long time. Let's just be honest. Let's be honest about Tyler Wright. Irritable uh, bowel syndrome was Yeah, it? whatever they claimed. Like a lot of- Impacted bowel. Impacted, whatever it was around it. There's been no clarity, but then all of a sudden, oh no, Tyler Wright is our poster child for inclusion, for inclusivity, for our 
big, warm WSL hearts. And frankly, frankly, David Lee, I'm just so bored of identity politics and Tyler Wright's straight up identity politics and the WSL is really pushing identity politics out as being woke and aware to me is just, is just dull and a hammered trope, a hammered trope as, um, like, like women surfing has ever been, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a woman surfer, but, uh, I don't think the world surf leagues women's side has necessarily been a unsafe Harbor for lesbians. Right. Or by, I mean, great point. They've always been like, I remember but calling it, the Swatch pro in, uh, France and like a good half of the girls on at least on the CT side draw half is probably a bit much, but a good amount of them were, you know, out and proud lesbians. So as a uh, privileged white male sitting across from another privileged white male, middle-class in Southern California, I've felt the same way as you where I felt that the lead story should be Tyler Wright is shredding, right? Sure. Because she is, by the way. And she got a 10 that day. Yeah, yeah. First town of the season, blah, blah. But it really feels like the lead story isn't that. The lead story is her identity politics. And look at look at the patch she has on her singlet. This and so, beautiful flag. Yeah. Like like they've been anti. I mean, Kayla Kenley, one of the biggest stars in the game on the women's side. I mean, there's been a host. And again, you're exactly right. I am a white male straight cisgendered male sitting talking about this like i have or i'm allowed an opinion but exactly what you were saying like tyler wright was ripping that should have been the story her damn patch on her singlet like gay pride i was great sweet but what i'm wondering is are you do you and i have that view of it of like hey the shredding should be the story because we've never had a plight that we needed to like be validated that we were suffering through for sure. I, you know? I mean, so I, I think that's I look, part of it, but I look at that, that thing and I'm just like, good for you. I don't care what your sexuality is, which I am thinking in my head, like I'm so progressive that I don't care what your sexuality is. You don't need to put a badge on your Jersey to identify it to me to get my approval. Like just your be you. It's all good. Nobody needs to know except for the fact that living out and proud or whatever would have, um, come with a lot of consequence a short while ago. And those women that you just explained at the Swatch Pro, they might've been out and proud, but they were also getting paid 120th of what the male counterparts sure. were. So that could have been factored in to that whole, just the system, you know I, what I mean? I, I suppose where I where it bugs me more though is the WSL really pushing it out hard. Well, they're uh, the like, ones who put it on the jersey. Precisely. Yeah. They're the ones who put it on the jersey. They're the ones who everybody in the WSL made a big Instagram post about it. It was like felt like a mandate. And then that's the thing. And it was like lead on their WSL website. Like so them really trying to at least position as woke and all that. It that was what was annoying to me. Tyler, do what you want to do, right? You put whatever you want on your jersey and your board. Say whatever you want. Be whoever you want you know, whatever, but the, the WSL making this like, look at how progressive we are. It seemed like a real bullhorn of look at how progressive we are. That was totally unnecessary. Uh, and I thought, you know, I mean, I just thought it was silly. And, and if you want to be super progressive, then go have lesbian surf can go teach, you know, I don't know, lesbians who are, or gays or whoever to, to surf or something like there just seems, it seems to be a just pure, positioning without any meat on the bones. Yeah. 
Virtue signal. Exactly. Virtue signal. It, um, is that progressive flag a new, I mean, is, did they invent that flag? Is that something that's out there? Are other people using it? I had never seen the flag before. I had never either. And I okay. didn't know if it was Tyler Wright comboing up two Ooh, things like right. the, like the pride flag with something else yeah. or if that is a flag. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't know either. Um, so for listeners who are just kind of catching up, this is imprinted on her Jersey on the shoulder. And I didn't see it on any other jerseys. No, I just saw it on hers, which also seems weird. Yeah. I mean, using her as a token in that, right. in that it kind feels of way, token. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I mean, all of it feels bizarre for the WSL. To me. But I thought when I first saw it, my thought was, okay, so WSL is putting this on all the jerseys now as a statement that they are forward thinking as a entity or something. And then I, I kind of watched the day develop and I'm like, no, I think Tyler's the only one. So then I thought, well, if one of the other girls, you know, identifies as gay or anything else, can they put their hand up and ask to have the things sewn onto their jersey? Or can or they, one of the other guys even? I mean, but like, how do you, how does this go down? Yeah. Or is it strictly, hey, Tyler, we're getting behind you. And can we do this so that we can showcase it? Well, and, and Tyler writes like, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter hand fist in the air for however many seconds at the, which contest was that in Australia? Uh, it was one of the lead up events. I forget which one it was, but yeah, it was during quarantine. It was like they did a yeah. three part series. So does so, boost mobile. So Tyler Wright as like the real token for WSL's wokeness again, not that Tyler Wright do what you want and that's awesome. But the WSL really making Tyler Wright, this is our, yeah, it just feels like a weird token. By the way, I think there is a genuine remarkable comeback story there yeah and so you but, said there's a lot of suspicion about why she was off tour I mean, for a year or two there's just which i agree with there's just no there was never any clarity correct but uh she was out for whatever reason whether it was uh you know like a radical sickness that she contracted that she had you know that could have happened to anybody or maybe it was her own demons that amplified the sickness that she contracted either scenario she was out for a year or two and really unhealthy for that period of time by all measures and then came back looking fitter than ever and actually surfing sharper than ever. Furthermore, has a really um, new level of clarity. I'll read straight from her Instagram where she was showcasing that pride progressive flag. She said, today it feels for me like another step in my realization of my true self as a proud bisexual woman of the LGBTQ plus community, as well as an Australian, I'm delighted to be able to represent both this year on my competitive jersey. The number change to 23 represents to me a new phase of my career, my growth as a human. The progressive pride flag represents a love that opened my eyes more to who I really am. So if she's gone through this radical transition and now shows up at the first event of the season, gets a 10 is looking honestly like she's poised to win a world title. That's a really compelling story. Sure. But, but to me, it's to know the story, you have to know what's behind the story, right? I would like I mean, to know. Yeah. Like you can't have the, whatever, whether it's a redemption story or, you know, struggling through hardship and coming out the other side story or, you know, I don't even know what it is. I literally don't know what, and nor do I have any right to, right? Get it right too, but uh, also I don't. Yeah. But if the WSL is going to keep pushing her as their token for their woken, 
Tyler Wright is, <laughs> is there woken. Why coming up with? It's a good one, yeah. Uh, then I feel we as the fans deserve, because then it feels manipulative. It feels like the WSL is manipulating viewer support, and that doesn't feel, that, that feels icky to me. Yeah. feels off. Well, um, I'm excited to watch her surf through the rest of the season, of course, and I would love to see them finish at Pipe, which brings us to the 50th anniversary of the Pipe Masters. Wow, yesterday, or I guess we've had two days now of yeah. professional pipe surfing. I love how they don't uh, ever advertise the trials. Like, it'll I know. say, it's so weird. It'll say Pipe starts on December 8th, 8th and the trials was December the, 8th. December 8th. Okay. But there's, there's like no, no lead up to it. it, it, there's, it they don't me, advertise what the heat draw is yeah. on their website. If you go right now, you can't find the results. I've looked, I looked the morning of, I looked the morning after I'd looked today before today's show trying to find so that I could refresh my memory of what the matchups were. You it's nowhere. No, nowhere. Nowhere. It's like they decide that morning who they're, who's going to be in it. And, and it feels like, so, I mean, it was, you know, obviously it was a professional production i mean it was all fine and good but it just it i don't know why they don't advertise that as a sort of separate event leading up like this you know there will be blood kind of thing like right. every single uh heat there's casualties and all you know i mean I, I just don't know why you wouldn't advertise it i don't either um it's a one-day event i mean the the trials to me is a very compelling standalone thing, right? Because the surfers are phenomenal. They're every bit as good as who ends up in the final. Yep. You know? I, I agree. So um it ran in massive surf. It ran in very like what we hope for. Like to be able to kick off the season at that, I mean at this venue, but also in a pumping swell and all that sort of stuff with the lineup of trialists that they had was as good as we could hope for as viewers. It was phenomenal. Yeah, a lot of fun. Heavy surf. Josh Moniz won the event. Surfing very well. Unbelievably well. And Seth, the Moniz clan, obviously, um, doesn't need an introduction. They don't need, they deserve all the praise that they get because people just, every time their name comes up, all the commentators praise really and they deserve yeah. it all. But I would argue Josh Moniz has fallen under the radar. Seth has kind of taken the center stage for the last couple of years. And I felt watching both their careers, their junior careers, I really felt like Josh was the one who was going to rise to fame first. It feels like though Josh, and again, talking out of turn here, but is love surfing in Hawaii and mm. doesn't necessarily have that, you know, I want to go grind it out around the world yeah. sort of mentality that, that, and I don't know that Seth does, but Seth did a better job at that, I feel. Well, like Seth, Seth went out and ground grounded and pounded in pretty shitty waves. He was the one who did the backflip at Waco, right? Yeah. Seth was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's, when that happened, I remember thinking, oh, Josh did the backflip because I was thinking Josh was on the ascent. And then when I was like, oh, I guess Seth is actually stealing, fighting for some of the limelight. At any rate, Josh didn't have the limelight for the last two years. He showed up at Pipe this year and- Ripped by, it, ripped I mean, it out of the bag. Yeah, it was repeatedly. really good. Yeah. And then- by winning the trials, ended up in the main event, of course, and he surfed against Gabriel and Adriano in his heat. Smoked them both. The If I was coming up in a heat, uh, Josh Moniz is probably so happy that it's not running today. Are we sure? Is it not running today? It's not running okay. today. Uh, Josh Moniz is probably so happy to have a day off, though. Imagine surfing totally all the way through the trials and then having to wake up the next morning and 
you know, I mean, he had a fairly early heat in the day, didn't he? Or maybe it was midday. I don't know. You would like, but imagine how sore you'd be, like, especially surfing the sort of pipe that it was in the trials because yeah. it was big, but it wasn't perfect. Like, it's not no. just like drift out to the lineup and pick your spot and go. It was like it was a lot shifty and moving. And yeah, they were, people were paddling, you know, from sort of past, it seemed like almost to off the wall. And then, you know, back to pipe. I mean, there was a lot of movement in, in the lineup at, in every heat. And it's exhausting to surf a heat yeah. mentally. So doing that, like I feel like Martin Potter always says, doing a 30-minute heat is the same as like a three-hour free surf yeah. in terms of exhaustion. And he did at least five of them for and, the trials. And then went out and beat Gabe and D'Souza, who are both pipe masters. And world champs. Yeah. And Gabe... uh surfed really well. I don't think Adriano surfed that great, but Gabe was on his game yeah. and Seth just, or Josh smoked him. So that was a highlight. Uh, the other thing that's worth, there's a bunch that's worth discussing, but Leonardo and Fioravanti and Mikey Wright had a rubber match situation. They uh, both had injury injuries last year. They were on tour, had to sit out a season for injuries. So they both applied for the wild card injury wild card spot and the WSL decided rather than picking, we're going to make you guys surf for that spot on tour. So they were going to surf the best two out of three heats at pipe. And uh, Mikey won the first one. Leo won the second one. So it ended up a rubber match yesterday morning and Leo took home the win. Does that make you happy? No. You wanted Mikey Wright. I did. You did not want the Italian stallion. You know, in the first heat where Pipe was a little unruly, Mikey won. And I thought to myself, this is why having good um, uh, waves of consequence matters is because it kind of begs for risky surfing to take place. And Mikey's the risky surfer and he came out on top. But Leo throws himself over the ledge. Leo's not afraid. He's definitely not afraid, but he's much more calculated and measured and he's more mechanical. He's a better competitor, all those things, which I think the WSL caters to, and that's kind of a bad direction to cater to. So I thought this would have been a perfect example to have like, uh, you know, wild card, literally Mikey Wright, who surfs with the rawness of Andy Irons, or then a calculated Adriana D'Souza-esque. And the waves being consequential is going to define who wins. And by the way, who's more exciting? Where do you think Leo Fioravanti ends up at season season's end? Honestly? Mid-20? Yeah. 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 I, mean, I think he's uber talented. And I think that he's very competitive, competitively savvy. He just doesn't have a point of difference. Yeah. I you mean, know? He, he ticks, he, it's true. He ticks all the boxes in terms of skill. Yeah. Those kinds of guys, I wonder, like, how do you break through? Especially when the top is so heavy. You could be ace bucking for 20 years and make a living and like have some celebrity status. And that's what he could do. Maybe uh, you break through though by packing on tons of pounds like Philippe Toledo. Are you fat shaming Philippe? <laughs> Philippe looked like Santa Claus. <laughs> Dude, I screenshotted it. Yeah. Do you have it? Uh, I have the screenshots uh, to post on Instagram following this episode. Uh, Derek Derek posted it oh, in did. Long Tom Story. Just a great, oh, a great shot of the round, plump belly of Pip Toledo. Okay. I'm not fat shaming. I thought, I think yeah, Pip looks, I think he looks good fat. 
I'm okay. fat praising. So fat acknowledgement. I'm fat praising. Uh, here's, so really the question that I was going to ask you is, is it okay to fat shame? Yes. And I had already made up my mind that it is. So I don't mind if you are. Pip Toledo. Uh, but I was thinking I'm fat praising <laughs> a B maybe it's going to help him. Pip don't need help in the air. Pip needs help on the rail and in the barrel. He won't be able to get in the air now. The one thing he knows he won't be able to do. Well, but imagine his like gouges and whatnot. We'll see. Uh, Wiggly's paddling style, a classic always commenter, um, wrote underneath the long Tom story, which was a work of art. It felt so good to have be reading a long Tom event or day competition cap again. But anyway, uh, Wiggly said, all fine and good for Pip right now in sp- stretchy trunks, uh, tropical. Wait, wait till you get in a wetsuit totally. uh, where you'll just look like a panda. There'll be a, a white thing of wax on your stomach <laughs> and it's going to be basically kneeboards and something like kneeboards and fins from here on out. <laughs> something like that. Um, <laughs> Very funny. What's funny is what we define as fat. Yeah. He's clearly not fat, he's but he was clearly like, but he was so lean. He was clearly not. He's not lean at all. He's clearly not Dude. fat. He's a good 20 pounds, 20? at least 20 pounds above his last season's ending weight. Okay. So he's not tall. I'd say he's five, nine, five, ten, And I would guess that he weighed 155 last season. Okay. He's a, he's up to 170. I, yeah, I guess he could be one. Yeah. I was going to say 165, 170 wouldn't. But again, that's a huge difference. I'm going on. Skinny Pip never won. I mean, he'd won, uh, con- like he won events or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's he never, won a ton. He never he's won a world a, title contender. He never won at all. He I'm going to say, I'm going to say plump Pip for the title. Wow. Okay. I'm going to say that the added weight is going to give him the confidence he needs to send it at Chopu, knowing that he's got a layer. He can just bounce across the reef. Uh, I'll take that wager. I'm going fat Pip is 30th at the end of this season. Ooh, you think it's really going to affect his performance that much? I think it's a sign that his priorities have shifted. Does does Pip get into shape over the season? I do not think he does. Okay. I honestly, I, I see a huge... You think plump Pip is our new Pip? Plump Pip is the marker of his descent to oblivion. But do you think though, that how many stay or dads at home, moms at home watching the world surf league webcast saw Pip come out, how just warm their hearts. Look at there's me. There's that's my kind that's of fine. person. That's so he could pivot and yeah. start catering to a new audience, Plump but he's Pip. not going to win a world title. Here's, here's my thought. He comes, he's a father. He's at home. Obviously he's a, indulging in the luxuries of not, you know, of just being home with a family and kids. And um, look at what Idolo did in the off season. Idolo is posting gym selfies. He's surfing Matt or he's surfing Waimea. He's surfing Nazare. He's like doing 10 foot airs out the back. I think this shows a huge kink or chink in Felipe's ar- armor where he's already felt like, he was on such a high, like he was the guy for like a year. And then Gabriel immediately comes, takes the world title, two of them. And Felipe has been kind of struggling to find a spot. Then before he knows it, 
Idolo shows up and gets a world title and a pipe masters. And Felipe is struggling to find his spot in that Brazilian storm. And I think he's broke. But what if though, what if plump hip is his signal that he's basically the new Chris Ward? I'm going to indulge. I don't care. And go out and win. Like pressure's off, man. But did Chris Ward win? Mm, No, but, (laughs) but, uh, Chris Ward. I like and, where you're going. Chris I just Ward, don't think that's going to happen. Chris Ward indulged in more than Twinkies, I think. That's a good point. Uh, where Pip, I don't really see him. Plump Pip, I don't see him going down the, I don't know, descending into drugs. Not drugs. Twinkies. Yeah. So but, is but, there But another, maybe, maybe just the, uh, don't care no more. I'm just going to go smoke it. Is there another sporting example of somebody we could think of who thrived on vice? John Cruck. In baseball, it's a big fatty go whale homers. Babe uh, Ruth, exactly big fatty who was a vice a ridden bar named after vice ridden fool. Uh, we got in boxing. I'd say that we we could farewell categorize Mike Tyson. He never got chunky, but he was pretty vice ridden. Was he? Oh so. yeah, very vice ridden. Yeah, but he never got out of shape, is what I mean. Yeah. Okay. I want to think is, of somebody who, who fat, packed uh, on a bunch of weight and then dominated their that, sport. That golfer. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't John. dominate. Yeah, John. Uh, I don't, God dang it. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He is amazing. Did he die? But he didn't dominate the sport. Though. He didn't, but he won some. Yeah, so I'm okay with that. Fatty. So if Felipe Plump just Pip, you think Plump makes Pip? a showing, okay, I'd be happy with this. What if? If he's drinking a Pepsi in his post-heat interview, yeah. and like he's got a belly going, I want to see a little rat tail growing down the back. Like that would be incredible. And all he has to do is just make like, I don't know, quarterfinals once in a while. There's like full on sponsorship opportunities for him though. Doritos. More than. Chincharron. Like there's all kinds of. There's more sponsor opportunities for Plump Pip. Plump Pip than there are. Yeah. Okay. I like it. In. I'm in. I'm all in. But it's going to hinder his flight. We'll see about that. Fat is, uh. He's going to have to work on some new boards too. But fat he'll be is riding lighter than muscle. By mid-season, he'll be on a mid-length. I'd be so hyped. Just Pip out there cruising on a CI mid. At J-Bay, he could win J-Bay on a mid-length. Grow a big beard. He's got the beard already. Yeah, just a fatty with a beard cruising a mid. Um, Love it. So, John John Florence is back in form. Looking good. Looking, looking Ross strong. Williams Ross Williams loved to talk about how strong he was. Both coaching and... And he's in the commentary booth. Are you sure that Ross is still a coach? It feels like Ross is no longer the coach. Well, in the commentary booth, he was making allusions to the advice he was giving John John before John John paddled out, which I feel is the definition of coaching. Then if he is John John's coach and commentator, that is a strange mix. But I'm going to say I loved so much listening to Kaipo and Ross. That pairing really worked for me. I agree with you. However, nobody's better than Shane Dorian. Shane does. Who Who is Shane paired? Was Shane paired with Terpel? He was just in there occasionally. Yeah, but he was, I feel he was usually off Terpel. Was he? I think so. Terpel, I don't want to hate. I really don't want to. But Terpel honestly makes me want to scratch my ears out. There's something about his voice it kills me. I know. I was trying to think of what it was too. It's there's a whininess to it. Yeah. And like a high um pitched or tone. But I'm 
really apprehensive to make fun of people's voices because yeah, my, I'm no, in the voice business and I feel like you can't please everybody. Like everybody's going to be annoyed. There's going to be somebody who's annoyed with, but I feel every that, single person. I feel that somehow Chappelle's voice is the magical being that annoys almost everyone. Yeah. Well, Shane Dorian, the guy is so insightful. He's articulate. He's able to like, uh, like put, put things in a real concise fashion, you know, like he just gets straight to the point and delivers exactly unique insights that nobody else has because he's surfed back door for 30 years and he's raised kids. He's traveled the world. He's dealt with sponsors. He's dealt with boards. He's dealt with everything. Surfs big waves, surfs small waves. It's incredible. Yeah. It's was, incredible. Was progressive back in the day, has a progressive kid. So understands new progression, whole thing. He's a whole gift. package. He is a gift. You want to know the, he's humble. Want to know what else a gift is? The fact that pots got stuck wherever he was not having pots in the booth is, I mean, the powers that be who make decisions at the world surf league love pots, nothing against pots, except everything against pots is commentary. It's awful. And not having them there is a blessing, a blessing. So I reached out and got uh, official word pots, Ronnie Blakey and Pete will be back. They will. They're they just will like, be back. they're like quarantined somewhere or something. Right. I think, yeah, the word I got was they're um, running a more limited commentary team this year because yeah. of COVID, but they will. Well, so good. every every venue will have fewer commentators. So maybe the WSL did learn then and understand that POTS year, how long has POTS been doing it? Five years? I mean, nobody, nobody but Vin Scully or, you know, there's a few iconic announcers who can continue to do it yeah. year after year. Most of the time, though, you know, people run their course like they've said everything they're going to say. Yeah. It's time to move on. I feel really it is time for Paz to move on. And maybe the WCL understands that as well by having him not be on this first one. So I strongly believe that they need fresh blood in their commentary team and not only in their commentary team, but in their personalities at large. Yeah. Like for all the various shows that they're doing or going to be doing, they need fresh blood in them. And so there is value in having the Vin Scully's of the world. And I hate to tell you, but Joe Turpel is the Vin Scully. He's not though, because he's going to be there forever. Dude. I mean, he's going to be there forever, which Whether is, like to which is totally unfortunate. Um, and Chris Cote has like definitely found his place doing the, um, surf world daily or whatever they call it. The show that they have kind of on a daily basis. And so I think he's established his spot, but they do need fresh blood. They need fresh blood. They need. Yeah. So I would like to see that. Apparently, we're not going to see that this season. I don't know. I'm, but I'm other really, than Shane Dorian, if they honestly, they need to bring Shane Dorian with them everywhere they go. Imagine Shane Dorian and having that be offered up. Wouldn't you just say absolutely not? I don't think he'd take it. Yeah, I won't. I mean, he'll do it at Pipe, but yeah, 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 I can't imagine Shane Dorian traveling the world to talk about surfing. No, I can't either. A um, couple of other things are doing in this event. They're pitching to experts around the world, like Tom Carroll, uh, Aki to have conversations, I think to kind of fill out the history, the historical context of the event, but also just to kind of have more commentators that aren't on site. They were really getting off on, I recognize you could tell that it was something that Eric Logan had mentioned uh, when we met him way back in the day. And this is the first time I've seen it where he was like, we're going to get raw. We're going to be, you know, going to get into surfing's history and be get all the cool dirty stuff too uh which it seems like they finally did or they're really you know they had award 
thing. They oh, had a the, uh, 50, 50 at 50 or raw whatever. moments from pipeline. Or whatever yeah, exactly. But they're, they had like one that was a fight. I saw yeah, yeah. they had, yeah. Which by the way, I'm thoroughly enjoying those. Sure. No, they, the they finally, they finally did it. I want to say, yeah, it is the 50. It's a countdown of 50. I don't know if it's the raw moments or something, but something. like iconic moments of pipe or something, but the like Ron, Ward, they did the ward stories yeah. one. Ron Blakey though, narrating them is it's like the whole package is, is great. They're I think. 40 seconds long. Yep. And but, I don't know what, why have you not been doing this instead of Coa Smith unboxing? Like great point. Well, the, these are great. You're just throw toss them up. I can't imagine they'll do it at every event. They can't. I mean, they might be able to do it at Bells, I suppose. Yeah. Like the ones with long history. Yeah. But yeah, at Pipe, it, I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed that production. Me too. They're really well done. They're all available on um, World Surf League's website, by the way. There's just a sidebar tab for it. Um, yeah, I cannot find what the name of this thing is. Oh, Heaviest Moments. 50 Heaviest Moments. That's what it is. That makes perfect sense. Um, but deep cuts too, like Rory Russell's run, Kieran Perot gets one back over Jay flow. Yep. Like, I mean, we watched that, but kind of forgot about it. Jeff Crawford wins the masters B Durbich's career altering wipeout. Do they have a, a dingo pulling Hobgood's leash on there? I, I should don't remember seeing that. One. Oh, I was such a dirty one. I was on the What's beach the when that happened. You don't, What's the story. I forget. Oh, they were in the, I can't remember what round it was, but I think it was, it was definitely an elimination round. And I feel that it was pretty far into the, into the, uh, event. And I am pretty sure it was Damien, but, uh, whichever Damien or siege, I think it was Damien, uh, was paddling for a wave. Dingo yanked his leash, sent him over the falls. Like, and it was proper pipe. Uh, Damien came in, like, I think at the end of the, then like, Dingo wasn't dinged on it. It was very clear that the leash was like, it wasn't a natural fall. He was right. like paddling, had momentum, and then all of a sudden just stops and then goes over the falls. Uh, Damien, I was standing right there when Damien came up and just started, you know, and the Hobgoods are, are calm, generally, you know, nice guys. They don't, not getting into yelling matches. Damien was hot and just like, are you kidding me? Like where, and I don't know why the WSL didn't, or I think it was ASP, ASP. back then. They didn't, they didn't even do anything. It was wow, like crazy. nothing. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. Um, did he have words with Dingo? No, I think, or I didn't see that part. I don't think he did though. I think he was just like ran up to the judges and the whatever beach marshal. I was like, are you kidding me? That's crazy. Yeah. I think they claimed uh, they didn't see or something, but it was like, you couldn't not see it. Can like, you imagine as D from Dingo's point of view, if you're like, you've barely got the lead over him and the waves coming to him and the clock's counting down and you see him paddling and you think the best recourse is just a leash. leash. Yeah. That's hilarious. Really good. I'm surprised more people don't do that, frankly, because it totally went unpunished. Dude. So I haven't had my leash yanked in quite a long time. <laughs> no jokes, please. Um, but when I was a kid, I remember in high school, it was something that me and my friends would do to each other. Yeah, go it was infuriating. Because it's, it's weird how just you would think that the momentum of a wave plus the momentum of paddling would be enough to like kind of it's burst not. through. It's not at all. It totally gets, stops you from the wave. When you're like out there searching, spending all your time trying to get the best wave of the day and the wave's coming to you and you're like got your head down, you're just geared like you were committed to this thing. And then all of a sudden you get prevented from what you thought was yours and you look back and your friend's laughing at you. 
you want to punch him in the face. Like it's infuriating. There's something about the, the unreleased, yeah. uh, like having no, like, especially when you're yeah, exactly. Like you said, when you're in position, you've got it, you're, you, you already feel it in your body. Yeah. Like you feel, you know, catching the wave, you feel popping up, you feel pumping down the line, you feel whatever to have that thwarted really is like almost, almost makes a man homicidal. It's a violation. It is a violation. It's a molestation. Yeah. Like, honestly, I feel right now I'm feeling the PTSD from those experiences from 15 years ago. Just think how good those waves would have been too. Would have been the waves of your life. changed my life. Yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, The other big story in my mind is Kelly Slater on a twin fin. Yep. What in the world? The booth loved it. I loved it. Kelly Slater, I think, finally hit one of his goofy ideas. Like, I think my theory... My working theory is that Kelly likes to go ride goofy boards to show that he doesn't care or to sh- like, he's so competitive that I think he, he knows that he's has up, you know, it's an uphill battle against all these youth. Yeah. That's and so true. then he goes and he, he gets on a goofy board and he can kind of look like, eh, you know, I'm just having fun and play that line, even though he is super competitive. But I think finally the goofy board and the competitive thing and the waves and the day matched on that 20. Like it was point. the, it was a great board for the day. It really was like, which but I never would have thought that until but, I saw him do it. Yeah. But why don't other professional surfers mix their equipment more extreme like that? Like looking, cause by the time it was Kelly's heat, it was not at all Epic pipe. It was in Wonky. fact, very poor pipe. Uh, and so why not really study it and think, okay, I could have, a better shot paddling a mini Simmons out there right now. Cause it takes 40 years to get to that point of insight and comfort. But do you think, do you think that the top level CT guys basically don't ride anything other than high performance shortboards? Like, yes, I do think that. Do you think they never even goof around on a 20? Yes. They're always on their, on primo high performance boards. Yep. And Kelly's goofed around enough where he looks at it and thinks, eh, take my 20 out there i think kelly sees the value in riding other boards because he's that you know he's that good and he's been doing it that long were you happy that you had picked kelly slater for your survival league uh yeah I, I am but i realized i knew you did what pick kelly yeah i did oh we didn't discuss no. our picks. Uh, who'd you pick <laughs> i picked idolo idolo mm-hmm. you can't use him for the rest of the season i know though. i you think fe- he's gonna win pipe i feel idolo's gonna win pipe Watching Idolo's run up here. Okay, here's my reasoning. You ready for this? Yeah. You're going to think I'm smart. Survival League, by the way, it's closed now, right? You can yeah. no longer do it. So sorry, everybody, next year. But I picked Idolo because A, I've never seen him surf better. B, he's surfing like he's going to get hurt. And so I feel that Idolo could very well go down midseason. Yeah. And then leave. So leaving him on the table, leaving him on the shelf to use later is a risk in so much as he's really hunting huge airs and all kinds of stuff. I see a little meniscus tear or something in his near future. All right. I don't want it. I don't want to curse him, but I'm just saying that's why I picked him. I, I can't feel, argue with that. I feel Idolo's got one or two events possibly here at the start. I'm going to use him in Europe, I think. Good luck. Good luck with him making make it, it that far. Exactly. And also good luck with this COVID year. Obviously, I, I don't know. I don't know how the survival league will go if they run three events and then have to shutter again. Yeah. But say they run three events, I want Idolo in some. I'm my strategy is 
I'm going to draft, I'm going to put my surfers in like a really bad NFL teams draft, which is you just take the best guy on the board. And so I'm going to put the best guy on the board in every, every time. time. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, obviously it doesn't, you, all you have to do is survive. Yeah. You don't, it doesn't matter if Idolo wins the event or Kelly wins the event. You just have to survive. Yeah. Okay. Surf five. Uh, well, Kelly on the twin fin, another note shaped by Mike Wu. Mm. You know, Mike Wu? No, do you? Sure. Don't. Uh, have he, you ever heard Mike Wu? Nope. Is Mike Wu a North Shore shaper? Nope. Where's Mike Wu from? Looks like he's from Japan, but he's shaping boards in Bali. Love it. And so Kelly was obviously in Bali for the last three months and he was riding a lot of twin fins and apparently he's been riding this board. Um, Black. So Mike Wu, is this a conflict of interest for Slater Designs? What, mm, no. Well, what we see happen is that Oh, Kelly goes and rips on. There's Slater designs on the market that are available for purchase right now. And then Kelly goes to Bali riding Aquila Ipa's twin fin and wins, like surfs better than he's ever been surfing on the boards that are available for retail sell, sale. Uh, and I would presume from a business standpoint, maybe he's doing R&D on those boards and they'll be available on the market next year. But those Aquila Ipa boards aren't available through Firewire as far as I can tell as, as of yet. As we've previously discussed, Kelly Slater is the world's worst pitchman. He is truly there, the world's absolute worst pitchman. There is an inherent conflict of interests or two opposite goals running those businesses versus trying to win world titles are at odds as it turns out. The fact that world's worst pitchman Kelly Slater uh, has outer known on the nose of his board for the first time. When he started outer known, he had an outer known sticker on, on his board. He, he did not have outer known stickers last year. Did he? I don't think they're on it's the nose. It's off and on. It's, yeah. It's in intermittent. But the fact that he has a company and could put the dang sticker on the nose, like not that, you know, who knows what uh, value there is there, but at least there's some sort of brand recognition, right? Like, and people, the casual viewer who do, doesn't maybe don't know Kelly's whole past, whatever tying outer known to Kelly Slater. Right. But it leaves it off all the time. Yeah. World's worst pitch man. Uh, perps. Never seen him drinking a perps anymore. Yeah. I think they're gone. <laughs> oh. I mean, I presume they're gone. Um, cause he didn't drink them enough. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's, let's keep tabs on the Mike Wu surfboards. Uh, they looked great. I mean, it looked Kelly like looked a great. very, very fun surfboard. Again, the problem is that he makes bigger headlines riding non Slater designs. Of course. And so and that's, that's an interesting with the presumption that he sucks on Slater designs. I mean, that's always that's the implicit. That's the implicit part of the story. Yeah. Is that he surfs better on other boards and has been since he left Channel Islands. I mean, that's always been the thing, right? He, yeah. he went and just had well, sloppy shockers on Slater. Designs. I mean, the biggest example was at uh, Bell's that one year where he just looked horrendous Awful. riding a tiny board. And then he was like in an elimination round. So he wrote a Simon Anderson thruster, poly thruster shredded. Yeah. And then got back on his Slater design boards. So it really is uh, something, a storyline to keep tabs on. Related news, word has it that he was slated, no pun intended, to do the Stab in the Dark, be Stab in the Dark's test pilot. Ooh. All the boards were built. Uh, corporate at Firewire shut it down. Because it would be bad publicity. For the business, because a because a non, but the whole point of stabbing the dark, isn't it, that 
the Slater design cannot be part of the. But do you want your marquee athlete, the face of your brand, writing a bunch of competitors' boards and potentially speaking positively, positively about those boards? Well, everybody else does it. I mean, Julian well, Wilson did it. Yep. So McFanning did it. So Firewire Corporate shut it down, apparently. And Taj Burrow then took the spot, which. So did Taj ride Kelly's yes, boards then? Yes. You see in the trailer for Stab in the Dark, Taj, one of the first things he says as he's sussing out the boards, he goes, God, these things are so small. These are way less volume than I ride. And it's because they were made the for Kelly, Kelly Slater boards. They I were mean, made for Kelly to go to Bali because he was in Bali all that time. And then they ended up being ridden by Taj in West Oz. Kelly is the exact opposite of Kelly would have been a real coup for that, but that would have oh also, gosh, yeah. but that would have also been the last stab in the dark. I feel what do you do after that? Yeah. I don't know what you would do, but I agree with you. It would be a great coup. And it, Kelly is the most savvy. He understands board design better than, but he's also such a wacko. I wonder if he would just say stuff just to say stuff, right? Like I think, I think he's insightful. I, th I think he's a wacko too. I yeah. Think, he, but his wacko things aren't related to his views on surfboard. Design. I think so. The, the Per what he's chosen to ride during the last hit or miss, it's been very hit or miss what he's chosen to ride. Yesterday, I think you're undermining yes, something. Yesterday was a hit. That yeah. twenty was a hit. He's been on more misses since he's left Channel Islands than he has been on hits. I will say. What Tom Curran is doing by riding a skimboard is feeling these really unique sensations that wacko. It looks wacko as a whole, but he's going to take those sensations back into the shaping bay and apply those to the so, traditional board. To something wacky. To love, something traditional to make it even better. Love me some Tom Curran. Love me some Kelly Slater for pity's sake. But I think that when the gaskets and the brains blow in that kind of stuff, it's really not translatable back to us mere earthlings, yeah. right? Like those guys are thinking they've surfed so much that they're getting off on whatever weird thing they're getting off on. Because I mean, it's like you've had, you know, you watched a ton of porn and now you're watching deep, dark, weird midget porn. That's what Tom and Kelly are watching. Hey, midgets having sex isn't weird. That's I mean, a real judgment call there, okay? With tiger sharks. <laughs> um, what is the equivalent of Slater or of Tom Curran writing? What's the pornographic equivalent of Tom Curran writing Super Dave? Tom Curran writing, oh yeah. Tom Curran writing Super Dave. What is the pornographic equivalent? Oh, see, that's the thing is I don't, I, I don't it's know. It's got to involve an animal. I don't know enough porn genre to be, to be quite frank. I think it has to involve. All right, let's just avoid this. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have a hard out in speaking of porn. You have a hard out in eight minutes. Okay. So we should go to commercial. Let's do it. Which we actually are implementing commercials again. So if anybody wants to avoid commercials, they all they got to do is hit the subscribe button. So easy, five bucks a month. Five bucks a month to support the entire network's work. You spend five bucks a month. You spend five bucks a month. A day a, on coffee. You do. That's a real NPR line right there. I'm going to really borrow. <laughs> we should offer tote bags. Yeah, I'm going to borrow NPR's greatest hits of annoying fundraising. So we're going to go to commercial, which you can avoid by subscribing. Uh, and we'll be back with Barrel or No. Chaz, we're back. I was a, uh, that commercial was actually impactful. Well, dude, if people need therapy. And people do. They do, especially now in COVID times. Tell me. So, yeah. 
if you subscribed, you blew it because you could have caught the better help <laughs> ad right now. Um, all right, we're coming back real quick. Any quarantine content recommendations? Anything you're watching on TV? Ooh, uh, Subaru was so good. That was my last one. Just finished uh, Inhuman Resources on, I do believe it's on Netflix. Uh, Don't know it. It's good. It's good. It is Italian, I do believe. Uh, How do you feel about Christmas movies? You know, I'm feel grinchy saying this, but I'm not a very big fan of Christmas movies. Home Alone, I, you know, left me kind of dry. Made me feel weird. Uh, That's shocking. Home Alone was a masterpiece. I mean, Home Alone is woven into the fabric of our society. I know. Christmas, I hate, I'll go on record saying this and probably going to get angry letters. I hate a Christmas story. That one where the dad wins the little, that thing is That's, so depressing. It's because of overexposure, though, too. But no, but it's just a depressing story. It's about a awful, broken family. Yeah. With a like mean, grouchy dad. Yeah. A pretty stupid mom. Two kids who are kind of going nowhere, and it's trying to put this sheen of fun over a really genuinely shitty family, where the shittiness of the family to me just pervades. You're right. That the whole depression. Movie. It's so depressing. I, I remember feeling depression from watching that. Yeah. Just like that, the town that they live in. Every the part mom, of The mom like frazzled with anxiety and stress. The dad not being able to make ends Just meet for the out. family. Yeah. And so he's angry all the time. It's an awfully and depressing that, movie. Yeah, kid the, gets his dream and then shoots himself in the eye. Well, and the bully. Then yeah. the kids go to school and get bullied that, yeah. It's a, it's you're a, right. It's shittily depressing. Yeah. So you're not into Christmas movies? I like Elf. Elf gives me a good chuckle. That's good. Yep. What about um, Vacation, Christmas Vacation? I'll, I love me some Chevy Chase in general. I just started watching Fletch again last night. Oh, when really? was the last time you watched Fletch? It's been a very long time. Yeah, funny, funny guy. Uh, well, he's apparently pretty problematic in his personal life. I think so. I think he's blown a head gasket. <laughs> yeah. he's, riding, um, <laughs> he's riding strange surfboards. All right, so uh, Barrel or Nah, mailing family Christmas cards. I'm going to go huge barrel to receive. Uh, I have never or haven't for a long time done the mail. Really? Your it's wife really isn't rude. mandating no. this. Mm -mm. I haven't done it, but I love getting them. I, I love. So we at the Smith household, the Smith Wallace household, uh, put the Christmas cards up on the tree, which is fun. Oh, okay. So yeah, I'm kind of stick them on the tree. And then at the end, you know, you, but they're, fu I mean, Chris, funny Christmas cards are funny. They don't have to be funny. I mean, funny or like you're always learning a little something about the, yeah. these people from the Christmas card. Do you uh, send them out? Uh, so not this year, personal, are you going to do a girlfriend and dog this yes, year? Yes, we are actually. Uh, the girlfriend implemented it and uh, ordered them. And I think they're going out this week. My mom had always done it for years and years. Even after my brothers and I kind of moved out of the house, she would like set a night in November for us to all like show up and we'd take a photo and then order them. And then November got pushed into December. And then like the last couple of years, it was like sh everybody show up on December 18th so we can get them out. Then one year, I think she sent them out at the beginning of January because she missed the deadline. Uh, and we've eventually stopped doing that. But my girlfriend is implementing it this year. And when's I, your, when's your photo shoot? We already, we had to use photos from uh, a vacation. Okay. We didn't actually shoot a new So you guys went the vacation route. Photos from the year. The Here's us being happy earlier in the year. Yeah, yeah. The vacation route is a 
typical route people take. But I do agree with you that I like receiving them. Yeah. So when she said, I want to do this, I was like, I don't need to do this. But then I thought about, you know what? I do like receiving them because we actually put them on the refrigerator. Yeah. And then you have, it's like, it's a reminder of December. Sure. You know what I mean? That's what it is. It's part of the festivity of the season. And I'm, I'm all about it. Yep. Into it. In, okay. Into getting them. All right. So anybody who's listening to this now who is, I don't know, um, dreading doing it. Be tr- just do it. Do it. Other people are em- thankful. Embrace the festivity and the the reason for the season. Happy times. <sighs> Barrel or nah. Uh, Yule logs. Are you famili- familiar? Is that the, with the cheese log with nuts on it? It's actually a dessert. Uh, what's in it? It's a cake. It's a ca- like a roll. Yeah. That they put like a um, frosting essentially or cream in the middle and a cake and then roll it and you slice it. But usually after they roll it, they decorate it to look like some sort of a Christmas Best. scene. Yeah. Like a tree on it or something like that. Then you slice it. Is it kind of like a ho-ho? It looks like a ho-ho. I'm all in. If it's anything ho-ho, ho-ho was my favorite. Mm, top five favorite hostess dessert. And so anything ho-ho related in. So I, I can't say that I've ever had a Yule log, but I'm going to look one out. I'm going to okay. seek one out this year. Okay. That sounds delicious. I think it's Scandinavian maybe or something. Oh, even more happy about it. Yeah. Is it like cream yeah. cheese frosting? No. I don't oh. think it's cheesy. Can I make cream cheese frosting? You could. Yeah. Okay. You can make it your own. I'm making, that makes me even more excited. Um, KFC. Does a Yule log? So Yule log is the dessert thing, but I feel like the, the name has been used for other things. So you, uh, they call it a Yule log and it's limited numbers. They put them out every year and it's a fireplace. Like it's a log that you put in the fire and burn that smells like KFC, KFC really? Kentucky fried chicken. Yes. I've never heard of this. They, dude, they sell them again, limited numbers. I think they sell them for 15 bucks. You could buy them right now on eBay for $50. Whoa. Like people buy a full, their full allocation of it and then sell them on the gray market. I am so excited about this. Could you imagine making your home smell like KFC? I can. I love I would love KFC. That. Yeah. I, first of all, haven't had it in a decade. And I feel like last time I had it, it made me feel sick. So I stopped eating it. That's why you got to keep eating it. FYI. I We've had this conversation this in the past, but I just love the smell of it. Yeah. Like I would just drive by and take a whiff of KFC. But if I knew I could put that in my home and burn it, I'm so excited about that. I'm going to keep an eye out. I did not know this existed, but I am straight up hand dragging roof barrel on that. If I could find one, this would be a perfect Christmas gift. It would. To the cha- to the Smith household. It really would. Uh, so barrel on Yule logs. Big barrel. Okay. Uh, barrel or not, expensive watches. Ooh. I'm getting a lot of watch ads for Christmas. You hit me where I live here. I love me a watch. Love watches. Um, I'm barrel, but many, many caveats. I want to discuss it. We're going to run out of time. So let me know when you have to go. Okay. But, uh, cause we could do go real deep. So I'm into the mechanics. I'm into kind of the story behind the brands and all that sort of stuff. I just don't understand why something's $40,000 that works exactly the same as something that, I mean, Timex makes some really beautiful watches and they work, they keep time really well. That's a hundred dollars. That is your old man brain seeping in. Don't listen to that old man. Your childhood brain, if it was something was more expensive, it was automatically better, right? 
That's what you got to keep <laughs> thinking is those things are just better. You are the perfect customer. They say something about you. They say something to others. Uh, that is dress for the job you want, not the job you have, etc. Dress for the man you want to be, David Lee Scales. You want to be a millionaire with a fine wristwatch. I will say, you're exactly right to point out like 40,000. You cannot buy a fancy watch for less than five grand. Anything that you're, anything less than five grand, you're blowing it. You like bought some fancy version of something, which is mm. not cool, right? Like you got to get, I, th I feel. I'm not convinced by anything you're saying. You have to go for the, for the major leagues. If you're going to open your wallet for a watch, you can get great vintage watches, right? I mean, you can get fantastic Rolexes and Cartiers and whatever, but you got to go, you got to really go big. You can't get like some off-brand weird thing. No, but that's the thing is you're saying uh, it sends a message to people. Well, if you're really in the know, then you're not actually looking for Rolex. You're not looking for Omega. Like the actual like holy trinity of watch brands aren't Rolex. So if you actually had the $40,000, you know, Patek, Patek Philippe. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Pe most people wouldn't even notice it. Sure. People but, wouldn't even know what that brand is. But you know. And you have now that much more self-worth. Okay. It's exactly like Pip's plump tummy. All right. Makes you feel good. So you're advocating yes. this Christmas. I'm advocating for any man worth his salt. Any man who can afford it. Every man should be aspiring to it. And if you have enough for it, you should be spending it. You five 5,000. 5,000 minimum. I like the idea of the vintage. Yeah. I want to watch with a story. Sure. You can get a, you can get fantastic old Rolexes. Yeah. I would not want to go into fashion Island to the Rolex store and buy a brand new Rolex and pay full pop. No, I want to buy a vintage one. Somebody's dad, grandpa wore it, bought it pre-war like that. I feel better about. That's what you should do. Okay. That's going to be, get yourself a fine watch for Christmas, Christmas. gift to myself. Yes. Okay. So expensive watches, barrel. Barrel. All right. Yeah. With very few caveats. The The only caveat really is uh, it cannot be, again, if you're getting something like the $800 to $900 range, you're being a silly goose. You think that you're fancy. If you're going, if that's like, man, that's an expensive watch to me. I'm going to go for it. You think you're fancy. Turns out. Lame. Everybody else is, everybody's actually into watches is going to laugh at you. Except my... And people who don't know about watches don't even care. So you just wasted 900 bucks. My $2,500 Nixon Supremacy, though, is the real sweet spot. That's what you're wearing right now. Yeah. I know. A real sweet spot. You explained that to me at one point. I was confused by it. It's, it's still confusing. But I honestly think I've done a touch of research. I think this watch is probably more rare than almost any. Because I think they barely built any of them. I went and got a new wristband on it at Nixon couple months ago, pre-Cove, I guess. Uh, and the guy working the, they have like a little shop in the back of the Nixon place, which is in Encinitas, where they'll, you know, you can just buy a wristband or a watch band, they'll put it on. The guy looked at it and was like, whoa, a Nixon supremacy. And I think I said, yeah, how many of these do you ever see? And he said like, in this, never. And especially not in this color or like whatever mm. it is. Like, so I think they honestly made, there's no way that Nixon made more than like eight $2,500 watches. Did they go to retail or just? I think apparently, who knows what they did. Well, how did you I, end up with it? Uh, Chad Denena, the founder of Nixon, drove it by one day and just gave it to me. There you go. I knew. And I thought, well, what's this silly thing? And then I made fun of it. But it's been a, I think that was like 10 years ago. And it has never once stopped working. 
There you go. It just keeps on ticking. Nixon. All supremacy. Right. Get a Nixon supremacy, everyone. Well, we owe a shout out also to uh, Album Surfboards for hosting us today. If people have not purchased Christmas presents yet, they should swing on into Album, grab a soft top. Soft top, clothing, other hard top, surfboards, everything. Whatever you need. Thanks, Album. All right, Chaz. Uh, until next week, well, we will probably discuss the end of the Pipe Masters. Very exciting. Until then. Get barrel.